0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, reading from verse 19. It is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. It's a church that he founded together with Timothy and a group of ladies who they met next to the river, and this church sprung up. Because God's plans were for Philippi to hear the gospel. And to be reconciled to their maker, Jesus. And so something wonderful happened within this church. And you will see that this church was instrumental in Paul starting off and founding many churches um, within the areas. And um, we pick up the story here where Paul writes to the church and as you remember in chapter 2 that Paul writes to the church and in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 he says in verse 5 he says in your relationship with one another have the same mindset or the same attitude of Jesus Christ and so he writes about servanthood He writes about serving. He writes about the type of attitude that we should have as a church together. And he says to the church at Philippi, there are some problems amongst you. And he says to solve those problems, you need to have the same attitude or the same mindset, the same thinking process that Jesus had, who? Being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And he says, you need to embrace that mindset, that attitude, and that lifestyle. And when you do that, you, are un- you would be able to serve each other. But not only that, you'd be able to successfully navigate your life through these trials that come in the form of disagreements between people. And so he is very clear to the church here. And Ken spoke on that scripture so well. If you hadn't listened to the message, go back to it. And then Jenny spoke last week um, that we need to be like stars in the sky. And in that, we reflect the beauty of Jesus as we reach out to the people of this world. And now what Paul does within this passage of Scripture, he is saying that you've heard of Jesus. Uh, You've heard of him being the perfect servant. He says, now I'm going to introduce to you two people who I consider friends, but I also consider them the type of people that you could look to who emulate what Jesus came to do on the earth. And so we're gonna be looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus in just a little while, how they depict what it means to live like Jesus wants us to live, to serve like Jesus wants us to serve. And so we pick up the story here. Paul loves these guys, and you'll see it here. And he says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus To send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered or encouraged when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your well-being. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And Not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am the all more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, You may be glad and that I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. What an honest letter to the church at Philippi. When I read this passage of scripture, I'm reminded of a football player in England. He is captain of England, but he plays for Hotspur's football club. And um, he said of his coach, Antonio Conte, he says, Antonio has definitely given me more strings to my bow. I'm always someone who tries to improve when I'm 35, 36, I'll still be trying to improve. That's just my mindset. And if you follow football at all, you'll see that Antonio Conte is just one of those superman managers, and he came to Spurs the beginning or yeah, you know, in the middle of the season, and he took over a club that had some problems, and Harry Kane is seen as one of the best strikers in world football, but he was just struggling a little bit. Antonio Conte came in, and he started just to help him a little bit, and Harry Kane says, Antonio has definitely given me more strength to my bow. And when I look at this passage of scripture, I think that Paul would say the same thing about Timothy. And about Epaphroditus, he would say that these two men has definitely given me more strings to my bow. And I like this concept when I look at the story, when he writes to the church. He writes to the church and he says, these men have actually added to what I'm doing for the gospel. Paul was in prison, he was... Um, shackled to a prison guard. You know the story by now. And he was still preaching the gospel, but he couldn't do it successfully without these two men by his side. He added strings, or they added strings, to his bow. But my friends, what I want you to understand within this wonderful passage of Scripture is that when you look at the whole context of the book of Philippians, and we have said that the major theme of the book of Philippians is for us to live for his glory and to live for his praise. And for that to happen, Paul knew that the gospel needed to be preached. But Paul knew that he couldn't do it by himself. He needed others. And in this wonderful letter of Philippians, Paul takes time after he's speaking about doctrinal matters and he just comes straight down to the real basics of what his work is all about. Yes, it is about Jesus, no doubt. But he is saying my work is all about ordinary people like you. And so this morning for a little while, I want us to look at ordinary people that accomplishes extraordinary things through an extraordinary God. It is people like you and I. And so Paul just takes time and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be encouraged when I receive news about you. Our Christian faith has to do with you and me. I think for Jane and myself, one of the um, real highlights of being here in this church is that we've um, met people in this church who are wonderful, wonderful people. And I think uh, we've had few bad experiences within this church with people. On the contrary, we've had experiences where Jen and I would say, I think within this church, uh, we've never met better people, nicer people, greater people within this church. But what's really struck us is that the work that we all are doing within this church is because of ordinary people who are giving themselves to an extraordinary God so that we can do extraordinary things together. But my friends, for all of us to do that, we need to step into a place where we add strings to someone else's bow. Jenna and I need to add strings to your bow so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. Um, You need to add strings to the bow of someone else so that they can do the things that God wants us to do. Very, very seldomly do we stay in the same place because you'll find out that there are times that God puts you in a position where you need to serve someone else. That means you need to add a bow, add a string to their bow. Then the situation changes around where people come and they add a string to your bow. It's the way that God works. It's the places he puts us in, in our previous church. Our ministry was completely different there. We had the privilege of taking younger people and just to add strings to their bows and it was such a delight to see that happening and we're seeing these people serving God in business. We're seeing these people serving God Um, in the area of of, of social justice. We see these people leading churches. Uh, That was the unique nature of that type of work was to add strings to those people's bows. But within this passage of scripture, we just see that God changed the situation a little bit because you will see that Paul, during different times within his ministry, would do exactly that he would add strings to the bows of other people. And that's so clearly seen. But now, he's probably in his mid-50s, still a very young man. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are younger men. Timothy finds himself in prison for the sake of the gospel. He wants to preach and talk about the story everywhere about this wonderful God, this wonderful Jesus that came to the earth. He came to man. He didn't expect man to come to him, but he came to earth, set his foot on earth, just mixed with people so that he could take away the darkness from their hearts and he can impart his light there so that their sins can be forgiven, and so that they can have a relationship with God. And and, and so we see that he goes and he adds those strings to the bows of those people. But now he's in prison. He can't do it to that extent. He's preaching the gospel to the prisoners. He's hoping that from there in Rome, (coughs) excuse me, that the gospel would be preached everywhere because Rome was a key city, truly, All roads were leading to Rome and they needed to find the gospel there. They needed to find Jesus there. But for him to do it, now was the time when others needed to add strings to his bow. What situation do you find yourself in at the moment? Are others adding strings to your bow or are you adding strings to someone else's bow? It doesn't matter. It's just the season that God puts us in. Would you agree? But Paul says that these two men I just cannot do without. And so, who was Timothy? His name means one who honors God. I think Timothy is one of the more popular names over the last 30, 40 years. it has been given to children because of that wonderful meaning. Philippians knew him well. He planted the church with Paul, and Acts chapter 16 says that Timothy was a convert of Paul who was one of his companions when he went to different places to equip people for the sake of the gospel. He was a native of Lystra and Derbe. which is called Turkey today. He was the child of a mixed marriage, a Jewish mother, Eunice, and a Greek father, and we don't know what his name is. Joy, you're in the sermon today, my friend, Ewan Fivas. He was the child, uh, obviously, of a mixed marriage since he remained uncircumcised until he was a young adult, Timothy's childhood and upbringing was obviously more strongly influenced by the Greek side of his family, which we obviously understand. The Greek people are strong people than his Jewish parentage. However, his spiritual interest came from his maternal side, his mother. But even that didn't save him. He had to encounter Jesus, and the Bible says that he encountered Jesus when he was Paul, and his life was miraculously turned inside out, upside down. But it's also very interesting. It says that both Eunice and Eunice and uh, her mother, his mother-in-law, Timothy's mother-in-law, re- reared him to be sensitive to the things of the Lord, and that's a wonderful. Um, foundation to give our children that they're sensitive to the things of the Lord that at the appropriate time they can turn to Jesus and open up their hearts for him. He was one that was discipled by Paul and eventually he became a pastor and Paul writes the book Timothy 1 and 2 um, also to him encouraging him in, uh, of how he should do that and then we see that he speaks about Epaphroditus, the other very important person. My friends, people are important, and that's why you know, I want us to take time to understand who people are, because if you understand who people are, you'd be able to serve Jesus more effectively, amen? We can be so spiritual that we think it's all up there, but it's about people. We've got to learn how to work with people, how to relate with people, that's when the gospel is most effective who was epaphroditus as a matter of fact he came out of the philippian church and he came to care for paul the church sent him to rome so that he could care for paul in prison and they also used him to send gifts to Paul, and you'll see that they raise finance. In chapter four, Paul thanks them for their financial support, and so we see that Epaphroditus was someone that they trusted; otherwise, they wouldn't have sent that finance to him. Epaphroditus is an amazing guy. He travelled seven hundred miles to Rome, and Paul says that he almost died in the process. The church was so concerned about him that Paul says, well, I think I'm gonna send him back to you so that your anxieties can be lifted. And so we see that he was a messenger. But Paul speaks of him in wonderful ways that we will look at. But you could see that he was someone that Paul deeply loved. And so let's just look at those qualities that Paul saw within these two men that was hugely helpful for the gospel to advance. And so we see that when we look at what Timothy and Paul, the value they brought to Paul, um, we would look firstly that Timothy was a very genuine and a sincere person. I think one of the great attributes that should be seen in anyone's life who has the mindset and the attitude of Jesus is that we need to be genuine and we need to be sincere. One of the things that I love about the people in the church here is that we can have genuine and sincere relationships. There are times when we uh, shoulder one another a little bit And um, we we don't see eye to eye on things, but we can be honest, but we can be genuine with one another. Uh, Paul says that Timothy was genuine. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your well-being. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. I have no one else like him who will show genuine, Genuine concern. My friends, the gospel will go from this place in effective ways when we start to show even more concern for the work out there. Like I said, church, you've done great over the corona time. We are doing good over this period of time to be involved in the things of the war, but it takes people who are genuine for God's spirit to move through very powerfully. Timothy was reliably consistent, and I like this. He was reliable consistently. One of the hardest things to do is, uh, in ministry of a church like this, or any church, or whether you're in a family context, whether you're in a business, is to have people around you who's not reliable. People who wanna help, but then they are, unreliable in the process because it's very hard to trust people like that. And we see that Paul says that Timothy was reliable, but he was reliable consistently. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And so he sees, says these things. And, and no wonder that Timothy added a string to Paul's bow. What a great man. I must say that within this church, um, it's just amazingly good people here who display these qualities that Timothy does. And we're deeply grateful and deeply thankful for you. But then he goes and he speaks about Epaphroditus. Paul says that he was a brother. He was a brother in the Lord Jesus. A group of pastoral friends in the UK that whenever we talk to each other or we come together in a non-religious way They would say, Hello, brother, how are you? And I say, Friend, I'm doing well. Uh, Because brother used to be such a religious term for me within the context the college years that I spent, and it was almost a religious thing, but there wasn't much value in saying you're my brother. You say, hello, brother, and the people never take care of you or you never take care of them. So it was merely a description, but these guys in the UK that I'm friends with, when they say, hello, brother, how are you? I know that they would die for me. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's what brothers and sisters do in Christ. If you had to say to Gina, hello, sister. The sincerity of that statement means that you would die for them. That's the nature of brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And I think maybe without it being religious, every now and then, not always, but every now and then, we just need to walk up to each other and say, sister, how you doing? Or brother, How are you doing? Because that's gonna say, in our church, that we are covenanted together through the blood of Jesus. And that bond is even more stronger than the natural bond. Amen? Can you understand why Epaproditus added a string to Paul's bow? We need brothers and sisters for us to alleviate the suffering within the world, particularly currently. We need brothers and sisters for the gospel to flourish. Remember we said there's three things that we're aiming at this year. Number one is we trust that God is gonna do great things amongst us. For that to happen, we need brothers and sisters in the Lord. When Adam calls you and says, hey, we lack in the area of door to your coffee or any other ministry, that you would say to Adam. Not, Adam, I'll be there. Maybe you needed to just say to him, brother, I'll be there. What it means is that you'll inconvenience yourself because of Jesus to be involved in that ministry. Amen? That's the way it works. Epaproditus was a brother. Philippians chapter two verse 25 says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaproditus. My brother. I have honestly many brothers. And one of my good friends, Brendan Locke says, you know, i always say when I introduce someone to him, I said, this is one of my best friends. He says, Peter, you have so many best friends. Now maybe I need to say, this is my brother. And maybe he can say, you have so many brothers. Yes, we should have, because we're a family together in the Lord. Not only was Epaproditus a brother who added a string to Paul's bow, but Epaphroditus was a co-worker. He says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaproditus, my brother and my co-worker. Not below, beneath Co worker, I remember I was a pastor in America as a young man. I'd come to South Africa to visit my parents, and there was a pastor in a certain church there that I knew very well. And well, I knew the church very well, they saw me grow up. And when I got back there, they wanted me to be involved for I was there about four months' holiday coming from America. And as I was involved in this church, this pastor said to me, he was a man just ready to retire, been in ministry for over 40 years. His name was Mel Heldenblom. I was already a pastor in another church, but in this church, he just looked at me. He, just, he says, Peter, I love you. I said, Mel, I love you too. And we had just known each other for four months. And he said to me, why don't you stay in South Africa permanently? Don't go back to America. I said to him, no, I've got to. I've got work to do there. He said, okay, and so I went back to America, and I was involved in the church, it was about a month, and I got a phone call from my mother, and she said, Piet, Mel is sending you a message, and Mel really feels strongly within his heart that you need to come and work with him, and um, he feels God is calling you back to South Africa. And, you know, leading up to that telephone call, my heart started to become restless, and I didn't know why, because I loved being in America. I loved that country. I love its people. And I remember when I spoke to Mel about it again, Heldenblom, he said to me, "Piet, I don't want you to come back as the youth pastor or as the associate pastor. He says, Piet, I want you to come back as my co Worker. Isn't that beautiful? That's my co worker. And I came back, this guy freshly out of college, just about two years, Bible college. Here's a man who's ready to retire, served the Lord for 40 years and, and been through the wars, been through the waters. You know, just had an amazing preacher, this guy, photographic memory. He read a book once, he could almost recite it, never preached. I mean, he was just amazing. And here he shared the pulpit with this young whippersnapper. And this man just wanted me to take over the church from him and started putting things in place for me to take over the church from him. I didn't because it wasn't the right time. I wasn't ready, And we stopped the process, and um, he retired, and he's gone to be with the Lord now. But I always love this thing, you know, Epaproditus, my coworker in Christ. Love to work with people. I'd said to a group of people a little while ago, a few years ago, if you don't worry about a title within the church, I said, you and I can do anything together and accomplish great things. You know, I'm not big on titles. So we're co-workers in Christ. Paproditus added a string to Paul's bow. Paul's attitude, Paproditus' willingness as a young Philippi guy to be there so that the gospel can be preached and so that they could live for his praise and live for his glory. What a man, what a man, I love Epaproditus. Then he goes on and he says about Epaproditus, he's not only a brother, he's not only a co-worker, but Epaproditus was a fellow soldier. You see, there is a spiritual component to serving. It's not all natural qualities like to be consistent, like to be genuine. There's a spiritual component. He was a fellow soldier, it meant that he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel, and that included Paul. I was with a guy, with a group of guys, maybe six months ago, and they were in my office, and there were about five or six of them, and they were a part of a ministry team And the leader in front of all of those guys said, these guys will die for me. And I loved what he said. I thought, and I've learned just to watch what I say. Um, I'm a little bit better now than what I was sometimes. And he said, these guys will die for me. And I wanted to ask him, would you die for them, Would you die for them? My friends, for the gospel, to flourish and for it to reach Europe, which is our desire as a church, my friends, we need to be fellow soldiers, co-workers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I tell you, I believe it with all of my heart, What remains to be seen is still undetermined. What we could do in Europe together and in Switzerland when we add strings to each other's bows. You know, that's why we're in Switzerland. I love Erica. Erica, would you mind just putting up your hand for me a moment, please? I love that woman. She's a wonderful sister in Christ, and um, I remember it was my first visit here, and um, God was working within her heart already, but I preached, and it was, uh, we were just visiting the church here to find out whether we could help the church in some way, and Erica responded to the gospel. Am I right, Erica? She put up her hand, and she got saved, and it's been the most wonderful journey to see Erica's life transformed, loving Jesus like she does, and serves within the church like she does. I really love you, Erica, and I thank God for you. But what I love even more about Erica is that she's a lady who puts a string within our bow. And, and over this last week, I thought about Erica and how she's had to make some decisions. She's taken her mother in here and she's caring for her mother. You know, and I just thought, wow, she's adding a string to her mother's bow at this time. And she's caring for her. My friends, it's not just strictly in the context of the gospel, but it is in relationship to the things that we're doing now whether it's family members, whether it's in your workplace. I want to ask you a question. Do you add a string to those that you serve within the workplace? Or do you expect them just to add strings to your bow? A wonderful evening. Christo had his 60th birthday this past week. And um, it's with great delight that I can say that he's reached that milestone before me. However, he looks a whole lot younger than me. And um, we were together there, and I met some of the people that he was working with there. And just speaking to them, I could hear how Christo was adding a string to their bows. Isn't that a wonderful thing? My friends, it applies to every avenue of life. But my friends, it requires for us to be people, when the going gets tough, not to quit, to be like a fellow soldier. There's a spiritual quality here. And it says here, but I think it necessary is to send back a my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. Fellow soldiers, pray. You cannot be a soldier and not pray. What we need to massively improve on in this church is that we as fellow soldiers need to pray together. We're weak in that area as a church. We're weak. We're deceived if we think that we could win the war without praying together. We pray in pockets, but it requires for us to pray together as a church. Tuesday nights, 8.30 is our prayer meeting. It's on Zoom. Anybody and everybody, if you arrange your schedule properly, you would be able to make it. Some inconvenience, but it's a powerful time together. My friends, all of these other qualities are great, but when we talk about being fellow soldiers, it requires praying together. Pray in small groups, pray by yourself, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish so much more when we start praying together. I hope I encouraged you, but I'm also kind of you know, um, rebuking us a little bit more today. We need to pray together. I don't believe that there is a time that requires for the church to pray more together than what we want to do now. We said good amens on the other points. Would you be able to say a good amen on that one? I'm closing my eyes. Never want to be hard or harsh with you because you're my brother and you're my sister. But my friends, it's going to require some soldiering together to win this battle that we're involved in at the moment. But a soldier, when you look at Epaproditus' life, as he added a string to Paul's bow was inconvenient, 700 kilometers on foot. He almost died. But he didn't give up, he pushed in. Epaproditus was not only a fellow soldier, but he became a messenger. They could entrust him to send messages to one another. And I want to close with this, my friends. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things with an extraordinary God to see amazing things happen. We've seen that here at Lyft. We want to continue to see that. And I trust that as we trust God for this, that you and I would grow within our walk with Christ to be people like this. I'd like to share a story with you in closing that's really close to my heart on February the 2nd. 1952. Jim Elliott waved goodbye to his parents and boarded a ship for the 18 day trip from San Pedro, California to Quito, Ecuador, South America. He and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, first spent a year in Quito learning Spanish. Then they moved to Shandai, a small village, Indian village, to take the place of a retiring missionary there. Jim and Pete studied hard to learn the language to fit in. Their hard work paid off in six months. Both were speaking Spanish well enough to move to Shandai. When they arrived in Shandai, they also had to learn the speech of the Kwikwas. One day while flying over the Aqua Territory, Nate Saint spotted a beach that looked long enough to land the plane on. He planned to land there. And and the men would then build a tree house there for safety so that they could connect with the people there. The missionaries were flown in one by one and dropped off on the Aqua Beach. Nate Saint then flew over to Aqua Village and called for the Aquas to come to the beach. After four days, an Aqua man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other. And since the missionaries only knew a few phrases, they shared a meal with them and Nate took the man up for a flight in his plane. The missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others the next time. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for other aquas to return. Finally on day six, two aqua women walked out of the jungle Jim and Pete excitedly jumped into the river, waded over to them. As they got closer, these women did not fear, appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. As they turned, they saw a group of aqua warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Jim Elliot reached for his gun in his pocket He had to decide instantly if he would use it, but he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised that they would not kill an aqua who did not know Jesus to save themselves from being killed. Within seconds, the aqua warriors threw their spears, killing all of the missionaries. Ed McCully, Roger Uderian, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Late in the afternoon that Sunday, January the 8th, Elizabeth Elliott, Jim's wife, waited by the two-way radio to hear Nate Saint and his wife discuss how things had gone that day. But there was no call. As evening turned to night, the Whites grew worried. They knew the news was not good. The next morning, another missionary pilot flew over the beach to look for the men. He saw only the badly damaged plane on the beach. News quickly spread around the world about the five missing missionaries. United States search team found them on the beach. But don't think that the operation ended there. In less than two years, Elizabeth Elliot, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were able to move to the village. Many aquas became Christians. They are now a friendly tribe. Missionaries included Nate Saint's son and his family who still live amongst these people. My friends, God is calling us as a church to raise our level of adding strings to someone's bow. Would you stand please?